What a great book Philippians is. If you haven't read uh, a book in the Bible lately, read Philippians. Uh, it's just beautiful. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? The Apostle Paul is saying this to the church in Philippi and to you and I. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you and praise you for the beauty of these words. Deep, profound, and beautiful. May we apply them to our life today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday, to spiritually prepare you for Thanksgiving and to have an attitude of Thanksgiving, I challenge you to go one week, one week without complaining or talking about politics. Now, to be fair, that directive's not really in the Bible for a week. We're supposed to, to not complain all the time, but it was a one-week challenge. I'm hopeful that you succeeded at least some of the time and consequently saw an improvement in your attitude. If you did, you'll notice it affected your relationships for the better. Uh, it is difficult for you and I to argue in a positive tone. I'll say, however, uh, I did have many confessions throughout the week and a lot of feedback on that, that directive not to complain or talk about politics for one week. Some of you didn't make it out the front door. Uh, literally, I could hear you. Or some of you, it, it's amazing how we are in such a habit of complaining all the time that we, we just struggle to not complain. Um, and I am guilty as anybody else. I'll tell you, after last Sunday morning, my family developed an amazing hypersensitivity to complaining uh, as it applied to me. <laughs> and so my kids caught me, my wife caught me throughout the day and throughout the week, and they'll say, Dad or Honey, and I will catch myself complaining without even realize that I, realizing that I've been complaining. It's remarkable, is it not, how much of our life and how many of our words and sentences are not encouraging and not positive. So you and I share that struggle together. Now, thinking about that, and I hope that you made it through the week without that kind of negativity in your life, but in the long run, deleting negativity in your life won't work unless you replace it with something. If, for example, in your marriage, much of your marriage relationship is based on complaining and you didn't do any complaining this week, it may have been a quiet, awkward week for you with nothing to talk about. So God doesn't want you just to take a vow of silence. He wants you to replace that complaining with something. And that brings us to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 this morning. So this morning's message is entitled, Out with the Old, that's the complaining, and in with the new. Out with the old and in with the new. That's exactly what Paul tells us to do in Philippians chapter 4. So look there with me again. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Beautiful, famous passage where he says, finally. Now let me stop right there. Finally. 
Now here's what finally means. <laughs> so Bob has a, an app uh, that's a Bible verse, uh, right? It's a Bible app and it reads it to you, which is great, except during church. But um, uh, it's a great app, by the way, because you can pull it up during the week as you're driving down the road or whatever, and it will read the Bible to you. Um, anyway, where was I? The word finally. Now, here's what he means. I don't, if, I don't know if you've read Philippians lately, but wow, what a book. And between chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 4, verse 8, Paul deals with so many things and says so many amazing, beautiful words and directives for you and I. He loved the church in Philippi. He loved all the churches. But he had a, a special affinity to the church in Philippi because they were the most functional church or the least dysfunctional church that he pastored or that he founded. He, he dearly loves the Philippians, and the Philippians dearly love him, and they're fairly normal folks. And so it's a thriving church, and so the, the book of Philippians has a much brighter tone than, for example, the, the book of Galatians or the book of First and Second Corinthians. Those congregations had real issues. But the Philippians, they were doing well. And so Paul is able to teach them on a level beyond what some of the other churches would listen, and so or would, would able to, were able to, to absorb. But here, after sharing those beautiful messages and beautiful lessons throughout the book of Philippians, he comes to this place where he says, finally, not just in saying that I'm closing my letter, but I think he's building on his lessons and he's built to this beautiful lesson. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is not just Christianity 101. This is an advanced lesson. And it's a lesson that many Christians today, you and I, we all struggle with learning and applying this lesson to our life. It sounds simple, and it is simple, but it is not easy Think about such things. Now, I'm not talking about some sort of philosophical, self-help power of your mind type of thing. What I want to share with you today is right out of God's word. And so he tells us to, first of all, fill our mind with good. I'm going to begin with the end, the last clause right there. Think about such things. Paul is talking about the responsibility of thought. Did you know, young people, did you know you're responsible for your thoughts? That you have power over your thoughts. Now, it is true with Jesus and everybody else, Satan tempts us. And he'll bring things into our minds that are not noble and pure. But we have the power through the Holy Spirit to stop that temptation immediately in its tracks and so that most of what goes through our minds and lingers in our minds especially is one of these things from this passage. This is not a request. Paul says, he doesn't say this. He doesn't say, look, I know that 
Things go in your mind. There's nothing you can do, but try as best you can. It is a directive here, not an option, and a directive. You and I must think about these things. We're to focus on and linger on these things. Think about such things. We are responsible for the thoughts that linger in our minds. This passage also tells us that we have been given the power to replace bad thoughts with good thoughts. If we didn't have that power, he wouldn't tell us to do this. We've been given that power by God to replace negative thoughts with positive thoughts. And God expects us to do that very thing. During your challenge to remain positive throughout the Thanksgiving week, did you notice your temptation to find loopholes in the directive? I remember last week in this very service, the second service, one of you, uh, when I said, I challenge you to spend a week without saying anything about politics, one of you immediately yelled out, define politics. <laughs> well, that's a loophole. <laughs> and uh, we find loopholes. Now, I know they meant that comically, but loopholes. And so I have received numerous responses and sometimes confessions throughout the week. I've gotten a lot of feedback from the message. Uh, and a lot of these statements read something like, I'm not complaining, I'm just making observations. Or I'm not complaining, I'm just dealing with the issues. Well, that's just something that complainers say. <laughs> The Pharisees, if you remember, which were the religious leaders during the day of Christ, they were obsessed not with what was going on in their mind, but with what they did. And they believed, they truly believed if they just did the right things, said the right words, prayed the right prayers, wore the right outfits, and acted in a particular manner on the outside, it didn't really matter what was going on on the inside. Now, Jesus came and turned that inside out, literally. He says, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You look good, but inside y'all rotten. And God knows what's going on in your mind and my mind right now. This is a challenge for us because our minds are always working. You're thinking about something right now. In fact, you may be multitasking. You may be listening to me and thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. Where are you going to go? Or uh, what you're going to do later today? Or you're thinking about all those things that you needed to do last week, but you didn't get them done. And so as soon as this service is over, you need to go and do this or take care of that. So many responsibilities on our minds. But also our minds just linger, do they not? They drift around. Even in the song service, I struggle. I'm attention deficit. I think we all are. And our, our minds, we're, we're focusing on the words, we're singing the songs, and then within just moments, we find ourselves thinking about anything and everything. We just drift out of the sanctuary mentally without even realizing it, staying focused. So right now, you're thinking something. And it's hard for us to remain focused all the time. And this is what Paul is challenging us to do. God is expecting us. He knows how we are able to think. He designed us. God knows your abilities and our disabilities. And he's giving us this directive today. God wants to change not just what you do, but where you, what you are and what you think on the inside. Remember, Paul says, 
be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's not talking about what you do. He's talking about what's going on in here. So I challenge you this week to say nothing of a complaint in terms of complaining. On the outside, maybe you succeeded. I hope that you did. But on the inside, it doesn't do any good if you don't complain to your family and friends if on the inside you're just mad as a hornet. Or you're just thinking, oh, this is stupid and all this and all this. But you don't say it. You don't verbalize. Well, God says, no, 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 no. <laughs> God wants to transform you inside out. He doesn't want you to say it. But he wants you to replace that with something wonderful. So that's our directive for today. If you've ever had surgery, before the surgery began, though you probably didn't have the opportunity to be in there, your surgeon, you hope, went in and scrubbed. They went into the scrub. They have a special room to scrub up. And they have a process that they go through to scrub their hands. And you certainly want to, to believe in confidence that your surgeon did that, that everybody else in there that's going to be putting their hands inside of you, uh, that they've scrubbed up really good and their hands are super clean, as clean as they can possibly be. Completely clean. God calls us to do the same thing with our minds. And that's hard to do, is it not? Get rid of the dirt of lies and impurity, hate and anger and bitterness and disgraceful thoughts. Get it out of your life completely. Hard to do, but that's the challenge that God gives us. And he gives us the power to do that through the Holy Spirit. Imagine if you're about to have that surgery, you're laying on the bed and the anesthesiologist is, is in the process of putting you under. And just before you lose consciousness, the doctor comes in and says, well, I got most of my hands clean. <laughs> I tried and tried, but some of the dirt is just still there. I think my last words as I fell asleep would be, will you go back there and there and try again? <laughs> because I want his hands to be completely clean before he begins surgery. Well, that's what God is saying to us today. Get back in there and try again. Most of the comments that I received this week were about how you failed. <laughs> well, I didn't make it past Tuesday. Well, I didn't make it 10 minutes. Um, how, how quickly we are not successful. This is what God would say. Get back in there and keep scrubbing. <laughs> Try it again. You have the power from God to change your attitude. You can do it because God's given you the power to do that. Paul begins by calling us to focus on whatever is true. That's the first thing he says in, John, in, in our passage for today in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. King James Version says the word honest, uh, which is a great translation as well. Whatever is true. I know in John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John chapter 8, verse 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's something marvelous about what is true, as opposed to a lie, which is what the religious leaders of the day were teaching people. They were teaching lies, and Jesus came and taught 
truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And on another occasion, he said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said that to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed at the Last Supper. Truth about God, truth about ourselves, truth about our relationships with one another, truth about our purpose in Christ. We are to put our minds on what is genuine. We're to place our thoughts on what is real and authentic, not what is fake, not all the lies not on the lies that are constantly being spewed forth by this world. In 1994, Arnold Schwarzenegger was, was in a movie, he started in a movie called True Lies. Do you remember that? It's an interesting title, True Lies. I think it's a good name for our news channels. The next qualities we are to consider is what is honorable and what is right. What is honorable and what is right. The NIV uses the word noble instead of honorable, but it means the same thing. What is noble? What is honorable? Are you an honorable person? Do you have any nobility about your character? God is calling you and I to have that. We are to give thought on what it means to be people of honor and integrity. In 1994, the golfer Davis Love III called a one-stroke penalty on himself during the second round of the Western Open. He was playing golf, and he did something that golfers rarely do. He called a penalty on himself. He had moved his marker on a green to get it out of another player's putting line. But one or two holes later, he couldn't remember if he had moved his ball back to its original spot or not. Unsure, love gave him himself an extra stroke as a, as a penalty. As it turned out, that one stroke caused him to miss the cut and get knocked out of the tournament. That one penalty that he gave himself over a call that he wasn't sure about whether he messed up or not. If he had made the cut then, and finished even dead last, he would have earned $2,000 for the week. It cost him two grand minimum. When the year was over, Love was $590 short of automatically qualifying for the year's Masters tournament. Love began 1995 needing to win one more tournament just to get into the event. When someone asked how much it would have bothered him if he'd have missed the Masters for calling a penalty on himself, Love's answer was simple. He said this, How would I feel if I won the Masters and wondered for the rest of my life if I cheated to get in? The story has a happy ending. The week before the 1995 Masters, Love qualified by winning a tournament in New Orleans. Then in the Masters, he finished second earning $237,000. Are you a person of integrity? That's a good example of what it means to be honorable. It is the good that God wants us to embrace. And again, you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to come from a great family or any family. You don't have to be the most popular person in the world. You don't have to be an extrovert. You don't have to have talent in order to be honorable 
and a person of integrity. Anybody can in Christ. Next, the, the next quality that we look at in our passage is, he says, whatever is pure. This means not contaminated or that which is holy. Paul is telling us to set ourselves apart from the impurities of this world. We live, you don't need me to tell you this, and I don't mean to sound whiny, but the, the truth is we live in a bankrupt culture morally. I love my country, but pure does not quite describe it. We are constantly being bombarded with impure standards, and it's getting worse by the day. But God wants us to follow not the design of our culture or our country, but the design of his word, his design for our life, which is pure and good. <laughs> We've been having a problem recently, Michael could tell you, our youth pastor. Michael helps me keep things, he's our maintenance guy as well, and, and he helps me keep things up and running. And we've had a problem in the last few months with our fountain outside. Now, you know, I love that fountain. Uh, that was my big deal when we built the building. I wanted a fountain. I love water. It's moving and dynamic. You can see it and hear it. And there's so many biblical examples where Jesus himself used the term of water, and the purity of water in life, eternal water. But we've had a problem uh, that's sprung up in the last few months, no pun intended, um, in that there is algae that has been building up in our fountain. And the algae is growing. It looks like long strands of green hair, like a moss monster or something. It got so bad, it clogged up one of the pumps in our fountain. And so we're having to deal with it. And so Michael went down and got chlorine tablets and, and put it in, or chlorine and uh, granules and put it in the fountain in order to kill the algae. And as Michael and I were talking, because we hadn't had that big of an issue before, the difference is during the summer, Michael was able and the guys were able to convert the well, we'd been using city water for our fountain and we, they were able to convert it so that uh, instead every few days it fills up with uh, our well water. So the well water is now going in and the result is algae is growing where it wasn't growing before. And you know why it wasn't growing before? Because there's chlorine in the city of water. There's so much chlorine that it kills algae. <laughs> and that caused me to wonder, what am I drinking? <laughs> I'm not here to tell you that city water is gonna kill you or anything, but I realize there's enough chlorine in that water to keep algae from growing. And I wonder what that chemical is doing over the years as we ingest it. By the way, I'm drinking bottled water now. <laughs> because I like the ideal of the water that I'm drinking to be pure. That's why we spend billions of dollars in this country every year on bottled water because we desire that pure. You get that. We get that. What is pure and what is not when it comes to water at least. Work this week on keeping your thought life pure, and it will actually reduce your stress. The fifth quality is what is lovely. I like that word, lovely. We don't use it much except sarcastically. Well, isn't that lovely? But it's a great word, is it not? It's a beautiful word. What is lovely? It means pleasing or agreeable. 
The Greek word here describes that which is beautiful or attractive to God. You know, this morning you did something or things in order to be handsome or beautiful or attractive to others. You, you put on clothes, you took a bath, you styled your hair, ladies, you put on makeup. You wanted to look presentable would be the words that we used. Most of you, maybe not all, but most of you didn't just roll out of bed and come straight here, over the age of 18 at least. <laughs> you did something to try to make yourself look attractive. Well, this is what God is saying. There are things that you and I can do in our heart and our attitude that makes us beautiful to God. So that's what the Greek word describes here. That which is lovely. If you go see a movie about murder and hate, which is most movies, violence and brutality, which is most of them, do you not know that affects you? It, it affects how you think. Youth, if you spend much of your time playing games that are graphic and brutal, where you commit multiple murders constantly, don't you know that affects your mind? And adults, you know, we blame the kids or we scold them or lecture them, but we see so many things in movies and on television that are just awful, even in the news. Don't you know they glorify that? Because they know it gets you and I to tune in to see these shocking things. And it's not that, again, it's not that we should keep our head in the sand. It's just a matter of what is focused on that which is lovely. It's what you're watching lovely in God's eyes. That's why I like to watch The Chosen, and I've seen The Chosen series multiple times, and there are particular scenes I go back and watch over and over and over again because they put a smile on my face because they made me think about Jesus and how wonderful and beautiful and lovely he was and is. I'm reminded about his life, his example and his joy. Think on those things. The next quality, it says, what is admirable? Again, it's not a word that we use a lot. The ideal is, is here is to spend our time embracing that which is of good report. Literally, it means worth talking about. That's a great term, is it not? That's a good 21st century term, worth talking about. Are the conversations that you have worth talking about? Are the topics that you bring up in your conversations worth talking about? If Jesus were in the room, would you bring that up to him? Are the words that you think and speak worth thinking about and worth talking about. Which again, causes me to think, how much of what is reported in the news is really worth thinking about? How much is really admirable? When's the last time you turned the news off, uh, turned off the news and thought, you know, that was admirable? <laughs> Researchers conducted a study in San Francisco a number of years ago. Businessmen were asked to wear a pulse counter. This is before smartwatches. They were asked to wear a pulse counter on their wrists and at set times during the day, note down their, their pulse rate and what they were doing at the time. That is, they wanted to find out, these researchers wanted to find out 
When did their pulse rate go up the most? What bothered them the most uh, to, the, to the point that it affected them physically and changed their pulse rate? These men were battling deadlines. They were involved in important business deals. They were arguing with competitors and generally living at a frantic pace. At the time that they were most stirred up, where their hearts were beating the fastest as measured by their pulse rate, was when they were driving to and from work. It was the commute that got to them the most. What do you think about when you drive in traffic? That's rhetorical, don't, don't tell me. But what do you really think about when you're driving in traffic? Is it admirable? Finally, the seventh quality is what is excellent and praiseworthy. Again, two great words. Did you know that God expects you and I as his people to strive for high standards for his glory, but also it helps us that which is excellent and praiseworthy. Students, are your study habits excellent? Adults, is your work at your workplace excellent and praiseworthy? Or is it something less? Are you thinking, students, you know, I am capable of making an A-plus on that test? Or are you thinking, D is for diploma? <laughs> I was a student once, too, and I remember those temptations. Don't do it for your teacher or for your reputation. God deserves our best. <coughs> So here's the challenge. He says, here's the challenge for the week. God tells us to take these things, these wonderful things, lovely, pure, noble, admirable things, excellent and praiseworthy, and put them to practice. Philippians chapter 4, 9, the same book, the very next verse, by the way, for our verse today, which was in verse 8, this is verse 9, the very next verse. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And here's what Paul is saying. He says, the last thing I want you to do is see the qualities of God in my life and be completely unaffected by it. As a pastor, the last thing I want to happen is for you to sit here, read these verses and say, Ooh, that's a good verse. And then walk out and it does nothing for you and does not affect you or is not applied to you in any way. God expects us to take what we learn from his word and apply it to our life. That's for you and for me alike. And so that's what he says. Whatever you learn, he says, what have you learned from me? Or you've seen any good that you've seen in me, put it into practice. And here's the result. I love the last sentence. And he says, the God of peace will be with you. Now, he could have characterized God in any way he wanted to. But here, he says, may the God of peace be with you. Because I believe if you'll do these directives that you see in verse 8, peace will be the result. And we don't live in a peaceful world. But we can have peace in our minds and in our spirits if we will do these things. Put the good to practice this week. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that when Paul says practice, it means that 
something that we have to do every week, time and time and time again, because practice makes perfect. And it takes a lifetime. But still you call us to do that very thing, to practice, practice, practice. And we know the more we practice, the better we'll get in our thought life about what is pure, noble, trustworthy, true, beautiful, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. May we have these qualities in abundance. Father, we recognize that as we prepare our hearts for Christmas in the weeks to come, that in all the chaos around us, there can be peace in our life because we know the Prince of Peace. And we can fool others. They see what's on the outside only. But you know our hearts. You know what we're thinking right now. May they be praiseworthy and pure. As you're praying and no one's looking around, can I challenge you this morning? Can your thought life be better? Do you have too much anxiety, anger, bitterness? Do you struggle? Are your thoughts admirable and pure? Just to be honest with yourself and honest with your God. Are your, are your thoughts pure, noble, honorable? God wants to transform you from the inside out. And he'll do that if you let him. Can I challenge you this morning to say, God, as I prepare my heart for Christmas, will you do that very thing? Again, it's, it's not a suggestion in this passage. Paul tells us point blank, this is what we're supposed to do. And that means it's something that we can achieve through the Holy Spirit. Would you be willing to do that today? Come to God in just all honesty and say, God, my thoughts are not pure. They're angry or bitter or violent or filled with lust or greed, all kinds of impurities. Lord, would you create in me a pure heart today? That was the prayer of David. Will it be your prayer today? No one's looking around. Would you stand? And as you stand and as you continue to pray, all heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. This is my challenge to you. Maybe you just want to come and get on your knees and say, God, will you help me to live out Philippians 4.8 in my life? Transform my mind. Replace the anger and the complaining and the bitterness or whatever is in my life. Will you replace that? with that which is noble and pure and lovely. Will you let him do that today? Maybe God is calling you to join with First Baptist Church. You want to come down and say, we would like to serve this community through this body of believers. Just come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. Or maybe God is calling you to rededicate your life. You've been off track. You want to get back on track. God hears you. He knows that we're not perfect. But it may be you just need to come and say, Pastor, I'll be honest, I've been off track lately. I want to get back on track. I want to do this. 
Or maybe you've never surrendered to Christ and you want to do that this morning. Come to this place in your life where you know you need to give your life to Christ. The Bible says you need to surrender to Him. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's with your confession and your belief that God's mercy becomes manifest in your life. He does the same. We have to confess and we have to believe. Would you be willing to do that this morning? Right now, as we pray, you come.